Welcome to No Apology with the Bible Idiots. We're Chris and Emily Danielson. Thank you for spending some time with us and listening to the podcast. Today is Wednesday, which means we are bringing you our long-form teaching. And today, Pastor Chris is going to be taking us into the book of Philippians, chapter 2. And he's going to introduce us to a gentleman by the name of Epaphroditus. And it's a very interesting section of the Bible. He's going to be talking about how to be a charming Christian. Now, if that title doesn't intrigue you, I can't help you. (laughs) But here it is, Philippians chapter 2, Pastor Chris. Today we're going to go to Philippians chapter 2, verses 25 through 23. I'm sorry, 25 through 30. And uh, um, this is just going to be kind of a wild message for me. And I don't know what that's going to do for you. But uh, So Philippians chapter 2. And I'd encourage you to bring your Bibles with to church and then actually have your Bible that you can have as yours. It's, it's an amazing thing to have a book. And maybe that's my age. I mean, my kids have told me, they're like, Dad, when you say bring your Bible, it's like telling everybody to go home and plug in their VCR, you know, because everybody, open your tablets to Philippians chapter 2. But let's stand for the reading of God's Word, and again, I would encourage you to find a Bible that's yours, and if it's your tablet, that's cool, but there's something for me about the paper that you have, and this is an obscure little passage that... um, It's like all of God's Word. When you look into it, you get deeper and deeper and deeper. So, let's read together in Jesus' name. Philippians 2, 25 through 30. But I considered it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, as well as your messenger and minister to my need. Since he has been longing for all of you and was distressed because you heard that he was sick, indeed he was so sick that he nearly died. However, God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on me, so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. For this reason, I am very eager to send him, so that you may rejoice again when you see him, and I may be less anxious. Therefore, welcome him in the Lord with great joy, and hold people like him in honor. Because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up what was lacking in your ministry to me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, let these be your words to your children now. In Jesus' name, amen. Be seated, please. You know, as you read the Apostle Paul and a lot of the letters that he has in the New Testament, it's easy to see that he crossed paths with a lot of different peeps, a lot of different folks, a lot of different individuals crossed his path. And some of them were a great hindrance to his work. Look up 2 Timothy chapter 2, uh, Philippians 1, 1 Timothy chapter 1. I mean, there are a lot of people that Paul met that just hated him. But there was a ton of folks that Paul met that were a great blessing to his life and ministry. You know, he closes almost every one of his letters in the New Testament with special greetings to special people. And it's that relationship type thing that I think goes over our head sometime when we just try to pick and choose, you know, cherry pick this scripture and that scripture for our lives and for our little devotionals. But when you stop and you absorb the work of Paul as a whole, I mean, I mean, think about it. At the end of Romans, he he greets almost 35 people by name. And so in our modern society, as we move through life, we tend to isolate ourselves. We tend to insulate ourselves. 
And that's where a covenant partnership in a church, and you see a ministry, a New Testament ministry beginning, where it's a gathering together. And Epaphroditus today is going to be our example of what it's like to live a charming Christian life. What does a charming Christian life look like? And so when we learn, first learn about Epaphroditus, it's just like, oh, here's just another dude. Paul's just you know, saying something nice about somebody who he ran across. But then you got to look deeper. And when you, when you start figuring out what's going on here, it, it's just it's amazing how God has used the Apostle Paul in his letters for us, even for today in 2021. See, first of all, you got to go back to the name Epaphroditus. What does that mean? And we don't know much about this guy other than the few things we can glean from this passage today. But we can tell you what his name means. His name literally means belonging or favored by Aphrodite. A lot of us who studied Greek mythology in school knows that Epaphrodites is the Greek goddess of love. She was also the goddess of gamblers. And hold on to that thought for later in the message. But Epaphrodites eventually came to mean this. This is what his name actually meant. It meant lovely or charming. So you see where we're going with the title of the message? You starting to connect the dots? See, we might not know that much about Epaphrodites, but we know what his name means, and we know that he lived up to his name. And we know in these verses we get a glimpse of a man who had characteristics that I think that every born-again, authentic believer in Jesus Christ should either have or strive for. And if we don't have, we could be striving for, and as we're pursuing that, we're trusting God to get us there. Because, let's be honest, some of us, we're just not that lovely. We're not that charming. But when we look at these characteristics, we see in Epaphrodites that we could be that for the kingdom. So that leads me to point number one. A charming Christian is a balanced Christian. A charming Christian is a balanced Christian. If you go to verse 25, it says, But I considered it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, as well as your messenger to minister to my needs. That's what he came there for. He came there to minister to his needs. Now, sometimes as Christians, when we're, when, when we're not charming, when we're not lovely, what happens is we get out of balance, okay? What I mean by that is that we have some good things in our life, but they become too big of a priority. For example, sometimes we get off balance in the area of fellowship. Everything is about being with our little group, and as long as we're with our group, everything's cool. You know, another, it's about evangelism. Well, I don't care what you're doing, as long as you're sharing the gospel, that's, that's, that's great. You know, another, it's about, uh, you know, bringing people to, to Jesus in, in other ways. Or how about spiritual development and growth? All three of those things I just mentioned are important. But what if that's all you've got? You're out of balance. How about legalism? Some people get so concerned in keeping everybody in line that they set themselves up as these spiritual detectives. <laughs> I need to correct the motives of those folks. And so you get out of balance. Now, there's reasons to have your motives checked. There's reasons to evangelize. There's reasons to have good fellowship. And there's reasons to look at spiritual growth. But when you have it in balance, it's a better thing. See, here's the problem. Like a car, a, a race car. <laughs> Is he going to do another NASCAR analogy? <laughs> yes. Yes, I am. 
When you get a wheel on a NASCAR, on a race car, if you get a wheel that's loose, it creates a vibration. And if you don't immediately take care of this vibration, I mean immediately, you pit under green if you have to. Because if that vibration starts getting worse and worse and worse, and eventually you come in and pit, and now you get the, the, the balanced tires, you get the, the wheels locked in, guess what? That vibration is less, but it's still there. Why? Because that vibration slowly got worse and worse and worse and threw everything off. And then you, the rest of the race, you're going to drive with an unbalanced car. And then when you get back to the shop, you've got to take the whole rear end off or the whole front axle off, and you've got to fix it in a much deeper way. If it's just a vibration and the wheel's unbalanced and you have a loose wheel, you come in and fix it right away, you solve your problem. Now, you might be down a lap or two. It may have ruined your day, but it doesn't ruin the car. This is why when there is division in the church at any level, you have to attack it vigorously. You have to pit under green. You have to take care of it. Because if that vibration gets worse and worse and worse, you can ruin the whole car. And sometimes, as Christians who are out of balance, or churches that are out of balance, they can even bring disgrace and shame upon the name of Christ. It's true. So, finding that balance is incredibly important. I think that Epaphroditus had three things of balance that I want to look at quickly before we get to point two and three. He was balanced as a walk with God as a child of God. He was balanced as a worker and a servant, and he was balanced as the warfare as a soldier for Christ. Let's take them in that order. As a walk as a child, uh, Paul calls him my brother. This term refers to members of the same family, to those who are united in bonds of affection. Paul is saying, I love Epaphroditus and he loves me. We are brothers in Christ. Epaphroditus walked with Paul, not against him. That's the essence of a covenant partnership that is different, I think deeper, I think better than just church membership. Every believer ought to strive for the balance in this area of being together, of walking together. The Bible makes it clear that we are in duty and bond to love one another. Matthew 22, 1 John 3, 1 John 4, John 13, to name a few. When we have this mutual concern and unity among the children, we behave differently. Sometimes in spite of our better worldly judgment, we use spiritual judgment and we err on the side of loving the brethren. And that means sisters too. Get it? When there isn't, something is out of balance. When that's not there, something gets a little bit out of balance. What about Epaphrodites as a servant, the work of a servant? He was a fellow worker with Paul. The, the words in 25 say messenger, minister. He was sent by the church of Philippi to be a gift, you know, with a gift. He brought a gift to Paul from the church of Philippi. But the real gift, if you think about it, was Epaphrodites himself. I love the fact that many of you can bring your gifts to this church. But it's you who's the real gift to the church. See, Paul, when he arrived in Rome, he didn't have anybody. He arrived at the end of a small chain, landed in Petuli, near Mount Vesuvius, near what's now Naples. And so Epaphrodites comes to him. And now Paul has somebody who's willing to do his part. And that's so awesome. When we walk 
in a balanced way. The fellowship of the gospel is what the scripture calls it. You know, in many churches, they say that 80% of the work in a church is done by 20% of the people. I think we have a better percentage than that here. And I think that shows that we're on the right track in a balanced, loving way. And VBS was a great, you know, great showing of that, that people showed up. See, Epaphrodites, according to this scripture that we're reading today, loved to fellowship, and he didn't mind rolling up his sleeves and getting involved in the physical work of the Lord either. He was there with Paul, and he had that attitude that Paul commends. And look, if you want to get involved in something here at Lifehouse, we'll find something for you to do that will fit your, your skill set, and we could use you, trust me. Lastly, on the balanced point, it was his balance as a warfare, as a soldier. See, Paul calls him a fellow soldier. He's talking about a man who is an associate in the spiritual conflicts of the life of a Christian. Okay? See, here's the deal. There are common struggles. You know that. I know that. And we're looking for people to partner with us in those common struggles. See, Epaphrodites was shoulder to shoulder with Paul. And they were facing the world, the flesh, and together, and the devil together. They were one side by side in the dangers that they face, the enemies that they encounter, and the goals that they shared. It was an amazing thing. See, there is a great need in this world today for people who are willing to stand against the evil of the world. We need believers who are not afraid to put on the whole armor of Christ and go with him into the battle. The devil is trying to tear down and take away many blessings we as believers have. And we need covenant partners who will take a stand for the word of God, for the church, for the holiness of Jesus Christ, and for us as born-again folk in the times that we live in. We need some battlers in this day. And then Paul tells us clearly in Ephesians 6, 12, who our enemy is. Just so you're aware, this, I'm about to show you who our enemy is. It's not the world. It's not the government. It's not policies. Ephesians 6.12 says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. So if we're going to go to this fight, let us fight against the darkness. Let us push back the darkness. Let us push back on Satan and his deeds, not against one another. So we get it right and we fight the real enemy. Which is why if that tire gets out of balance because we're trying to bring division in the church, we have to address it immediately. See, Epaphroditus was a balanced believer. I, th I think that with all of my heart because of what Paul wrote here. He was active in all these areas of Christian life. He was balanced in his walk, in his work, and in his war war uh, warfare. And so I asked myself this question this week. What about me? Am I that way? I'm supposed to be the pastor of this church. And I struggle. It's, a, it's an eye-opener for me this week. So then I ask you, what about you? Where do you stand in these areas today? Let's knock out points two and three together this morning. Point two is a charming Christian is a burdened Christian. A charming Christian is a burdened Christian. In verses 26 through 29, it says, Since he has been longing for all of you and was distressed because you heard he was sick, indeed he was so sick he nearly died, however God had mercy on him, 
and not only on him, but also on me, so that I would not have to have sorrow upon sorrow. For this reason, I'm eager to send him so that you may rejoice again when you see him, and I will be less anxious. Therefore, welcome him in the Lord with great joy and hold people like him in honor. Hold people like him in honor. Look, the burden of a Christian, this charming Christian, is twofold. It's focus and it's fruit. Focus and fruit. Let's start with uh, focus first. It says he was sick right unto death. It says that Epaphrodites was about to die. Now, Paul had healed people in Acts 14 and Acts 28. Why didn't he heal Epaphroditus? I don't know why. I can guess. My guess is that he didn't heal Epaphroditus because the healing that Paul had came from the sovereignty of God. It ain't like he conjured it up like I dream a genie, you know. I don't think that's how it went down. I think the sovereignty of God came on Paul, and he knew he had the power to heal because God had laid it on his heart, but he didn't have it for Epaphrodites. Why? I don't know. God's in charge of the healing process, but we do know that even though this guy was deathly ill, Epaphroditus was not focused on himself. He was focused on his other brothers and sisters in Philippi. He was burdened because they were worried about him. The phrase... In the scripture, in our translation in the CSB says, was distressed. In the King James, it's translated full of heaviness. This same phrase is the same word that is used for Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane in Matthew 26 and Mark 14. That's how heavy this was. His focus was not on his own conditions or needs. His focus is on others and their welfare. In other words, he was displaying absolute Christ-likeness in this situation. What a lesson for us in our culture and in our church today. I mean, many of us can't see any farther than the length of our arm. And that includes me on any given day. But the Spirit comes upon us, and we start being concerned with those things that are happening around us. And we start being led by the Spirit, and we start loving through the Spirit. We start sharing the truth through the Spirit in ways that we didn't think that was possible as we're maturing as Christians. And when something happens and your primary concern is not immediately how this affects you, trust me, that is you growing as a a mature Christian. If you know that something's going to affect somebody else and your heart starts to break, especially a covenant partner that you've covenanted with under the banner of Jesus Christ, then you know you're starting to mature. Epaphroditus was living, breathing commentary on Philippians 2.4. He was what we all ought to be. Let's look at it. It said, everyone should look not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. When we get to the needs of others first, we will watch what we say, what we do, where we go, how we react. We'll be careful to ensure that others are edified and encouraged. And we won't think that our rights will reign supreme. And when you're doing that, you're doing that for God's glory, not to try to make sure you hide your sins, if you follow what I'm saying. You just, you just want to do things differently. You know you'll never do them all correctly, but you just want to do things differently. Then there's the fruit of this burden. Because Epaphroditus was a people-centered person, he brought joy to the lives of others. Notice the word Paul uses in verses 28 and 29, rejoice and gladness. And, I mean, he just talks about just being less anxious. I mean, this guy had to be an encourager. 
No other way around it. You can't, you can't read this, study this, get into this deep, and just, you see, Epaphroditus was an encourager. He was somebody who was always out front trying to make the best of every situation. I bet this guy was an absolute joy to be around. I mean, I want to be an encourager instead of a critical complainer. And that comes with spiritual maturity. There are people that might have worked with me 15, 20 years ago hearing me say this now saying, you're that guy? I never seen a problem that I couldn't complain about back in the day. Didn't matter how small. I was a master at making mountains out of molehills. But through spiritual maturity, you start seeing that the encouragement, the joy, looking at the bright side, whatever you want to call it, not walking around with rose-colored glasses on, but being realistic, and through God's sovereignty, you see that there's so much more than this, so you don't complain. Instead, you encourage. Point number three, a charming Christian is a brave Christian. A charming Christian is a brave Christian. We've already seen that this guy was balanced and that he was burdened, but it tells us he was brave. Verse 30 says, Because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up what was lacking in your ministry to me. He endured the results of the labor for the Lord Jesus. Ancient church tradition tells us that Epaphrodites was known for his work among the sick in Rome. When he got to Rome to stand shoulder to shoulder with Paul, one of the things he started doing was ministering to the sick. It said he would minister to most people other people wouldn't even go near. In other words, he put everything on the line for Jesus in order to fulfill the Great Commission. For this man, nothing in this life was more important than doing the will of the Lord. Nothing. Even if doing what God required cost him everything. No question it would be awesome to have men and women who knew no greater goal in life than than to be obedient to the will of the Savior. Even simple, easy things like going to church sometimes is too much for some folk. But among us, having a heart like Epaphroditus, that is just an amazing thing. Somebody who has a heart that just beats in time with the master's heart, who has a heart to see people saved in the work of God done in this world, regardless of the personal cost. The bravery in his sacrifice was immense. The Bible says, risking his life in the CSB that I'm reading from today, it says in the King James Version, not regarding his life. It literally means he gambled his life. The phrase means to throw aside, to throw down. It speaks of voluntarily hazarding one's welfare and exposing oneself to danger. It was a term used to describe how gamblers who threw their money down and exposed it to danger or loss, or in layman's terms in English, to place everything on the roll of the dice. In fact, many times a gambler in that day would throw down the dice and he would yell, Epaphroditus, and he would throw the dice. That was what the name meant. You know, I love looking up the original meaning of phrases And sometimes I believe they're true and sometimes it's legend, but have you ever jumped off a hill or jumped into the pool off a high diving board and yelled the word Geronimo? Do you know where that comes from? Back when when parachuting in 
the United States military became a thing, one of the platoons had to do their very first jump. This is way back in the day. And they went to a moving picture show the night before, and they had a cowboy and Indian flick, and one of the Indians in there was named Geronimo. And so as the platoon's getting ready to board the plane, one of the guys says, I'm not scared. To prove I'm not scared, when I jump out of the plane, I'm going to yell Geronimo. And so they got to 10,000 feet or whatever they were supposed to jump out, and he jumps out and yells Geronimo, and then every, every person on the platoon did the same thing as they jumped out. And it became a thing. And now, I don't know why, but I'm 10 years old on a high diving board, and I yell Geronimo when I jump off the high diving board. Well, it was the same thing back then. When, when a gambler would, would roll that dice, they would yell Epaphroditus, because that's what his name actually meant. Not that this guy became famous with gamblers, but Aphrodite, the Greek goddess, and who he was named after, that's what it's from. Get it? He put his life on the line to see Paul's needs met and to see souls brought into the kingdom of, of God. So he lived up to his name. He lived up to his name. I can't think of anything close to this other than when the missionaries in the 60s, the movie called End of the Spear documents it, there's a missionary called Jim Elliott. And Jim Elliott, who gave his life to Christ trying to reach the uh, Indians in South Africa or South America, he said this, he was quoted as this, and after they were murdered, he became famous as a martyr. I don't know if you guys are aware of him or not. I hope you are. And his wife, actually, Elizabeth, actually went back and was part of the missionaries that had the whole tribe come to know Jesus. But anyway... He said this quote, he said, He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. I typed that out 20 years ago, and I framed it. This, hangs, this has been in my office for 20 years. If some of you have been in my office for any reason, you probably see it up by the Stanley Cup that the Minnesota Wild have yet to win. But, I mean, it's everything. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And if you're wondering what that is, that's a Garfield that's 20 years old, too. And it's just Garfield laying on his back. It's all three frames. And it says, if you're patient, if you wait long enough, nothing will happen. So you actually got to go out and take the land. Remember my stories about Joshua and Caleb? That's it. That's what I want my life to be. See, in later years, a group of Christians became known as Parabolani. What Parabolani means are the gamblers, which came from the word translating not regarding life. We're known for their work among the disparaged and the dead. People would be raged by the plague. They would be the ones that would go bury the dead bodies. They would do this, and the believers were inspired by the selfless sacrifice of the Epaphrodites of the world and willing to place their lives on the line for Jesus. Do we have gamblers in our day? Where are the saints of God who will allow nothing, be it comfort, convenience, or cost, stand between them and doing the will of God? How we need brave believers in this day. People who are willing to deny themselves take up their cross, and follow Jesus. Now, let's be clear. Don't miss this. I'm not talking about foolish risk-takers 
who are doing it for the sake of their own glory. I'm talking about risking it all, folks, for the glory of Jesus and him alone. And they don't even know they're risking it all because they don't care because they're saved and they want to see Jesus magnified. Because the Bible says, as crazy as this sounds, those who give up this life for the next get both. You want to live now, and, and then you get neither. People who are living for themselves, and I don't care about your economic status, I find almost 99.999% of them unhappy people at their core. Every now and then you run into somebody who's pretty optimistic. But there's an anger, there's a frustration, there's an emptiness in the evolution atheistic crowd all you got to do is look for it. And there's a fulfillment, and there's a joy, and there's a peace in the sold-out, authentic Christian that is so attractive to me that I cannot accept anything less in my life. And yet I do. I always got to come back and come back and come back and come back. Daily, the Bible says, in keeping with repentance. See, Epaphroditus was to be prized and considered precious. That's what Paul was saying about him. And there are saints in Lifehouse Church, and I haven't even been here a full year yet, that to me are prized and I consider them precious. I was hoping for three or four like that. There's like 20 of you. It's great. It's like fine gemstones. It's rare and of great value. In Lifehouse Church is of great value with covenant partners that want to come together and serve Jesus against all odds, and the odds are getting deeper and worse against us every day. Do you want to know what Lifehouse Church needs? It's not money. This is God's boat. He knows how to keep it afloat with the generous gifts of his believers. It's not prestige in the community. I mean, pretty soon we're going to be able to swing a dead cat and hit somebody who doesn't like us. Why? Because we're out of step with the world and we're not going to change. We're not going to change. Not political influence. This world and all of that is within it is going to burn up one day. You can't keep it. It's going away. What we need is a people who will commit themselves to be like Epaphroditus. We need men and women, boys and girls, who will put everything on the line for Jesus, who will hold nothing back. And we need a church filled with Christians who are balanced in the walk, who are burdened for others, and who are brave enough to give their lives for Christ. That's it. And then God will use us to touch people in ways we never thought possible. Balanced, burdened, and brave. So where does that message find us today? Well, it finds me back in that unfortunately humble state of saying, if this is what it is, help me, Lord, be that today. What about you? What do you need to get straightened out and settled today to be a charming Christian? To live up to the name of Epaphroditus. Because we can be charming Christians too. All we need to do is just live the life that God is calling us to do. And sometimes that doesn't look like what we want it to look like. Sometimes it's much different than what we think but there's a spirit of God when you're in balance, when you have that burden that you didn't conjure up that you know was put there by God, and then you have a courage and a brave, braveness to want to stand up against 
the darkness that you know isn't because you got this super steel spine that you're just tough guy. You know that's not it, but yet there you are. There you stand. Because Jesus Christ strengthened you, and he saved you, and he pursued you while you were yet a sinner. And he started a good work in you, and he's faithful and just to complete it all the way to the very end. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we commit these words to you now. I know you've got some of your people here. And let us just continue to grow stronger each day. Help us with godly biblical wisdom push back the darkness together as one. Be with us now as we go throughout this day, throughout this summer. Guide and direct us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to our Sunday message. To donate, request prayer, or to contact Pastor Chris, you can write to Lifehouse Church at P.O. Box 661, Abilene, Kansas, 67410, or go online at lifehouse-church.com. On behalf of the entire congregation, thanks again for your support.